Now, if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to, to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that that was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And, and as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish for they were not far from the shore about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw this, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, it only took 45 sermons for us to get to this point, but we made it. A year ago tomorrow we began our sermon series on the Gospel of John. And what a year it's been. Personally, I think I went through probably the most significant theological shift in my life. And this, and this, and this gospel was integral in that shift. And, and it's my hope that as, as we've gone through this text together, that your relationship with the Lord and with one another has been deepened, and that the radical call of discipleship has been driven even more deeply into your hearts. 
But this week, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with the real end of the Gospel of John. And I mean that with kind of a double meaning. It's, it's the literal end of the book. But we're also concerned with the Gospel's purpose. It's end. It's telos. What's the Gospel for? Scholars argue about whether John ends in chapter 20 or chapter 21. After all, chapter 20 sure sounds like the end. In chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, it says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It would seem that that would be the end of the book. Game over. That's, this is why the book was written, so that you might enjoy eternal life. Not just a life that lasts forever, but a life that overflows in abundance. Abundance of love, abundance of joy, abundance of peace, only through union with Christ. But, if you've been with us through these 40-odd sermons, and if you read this book carefully, and also if you know that we don't actually have any manuscripts of John that actually end in chapter 20. There's, there's also a major loose end that needs to be tied up. Peter. See, over the course of the last few months, one of the things that I've been trying to remind us is that John has two betrayers in his gospel. Judas and Peter. When, when Jesus refers to Judas' betrayal, we're told over and over again that there's no hope for him. But we don't get a proclamation from Jesus about Peter's betrayal, which is really just as hurtful. You'll remember that Peter is the one who, through his seeming eagerness, subtly works the logic of empire into conversation with Jesus. It's, it's Peter who suggests to Jesus, hey, maybe you can fulfill this mission without dying. Echoing the satanic message that salvation could never come through self-sacrifice. It was Peter who, cut, who pulled his sword to cut off Malchus's ear, echoing the satanic message that violence is the preferred method for liberation. It was Peter who denied Jesus three times, bearing witness to the satanic message that self-preservation supersedes loyalty to the king. And I press this because, because the fact is that these are temptations that Peter is not alone in facing and succumbing to. We've all thought these things. We've all thought that there's a better way to get ahead than suffering. We've all thought that eliminating our enemies is better than loving them. We've all looked out for ourselves above looking out for our neighbors. And Jesus is clear, each of these ways of thinking and living is radically opposed to him. And when Jesus dies, Peter is left ashamed. Even after the resurrection, he rushes to the tomb, maybe even hoping for reconciliation, but he finds nothing. Even when Jesus appears, the reader who's, who's, who's been listening to the Gospel of John, they're probably thinking, what about Peter? And that's why chapter 21 is here. Because in this chapter, we see the grace of the Lord and the redemption that he brings. And so when we listen to this text, I want you to pay attention to Peter. Because his story from the beginning of the book to its end is the story of the gospel. It's in many ways all of our stories. And the way that Jesus reaches out to Peter is the way that he reaches out to you. In the first half of this chapter, we, we zoom in on seven disciples, including Peter. And this first action, Peter, Peter tells his friends, hey, let's go fish. 
As a matter of fact, this is what actually this is what Jesus called us out of. This was this is like it's representative of of our of our of our old life. It's this it's this thing that we're super comfortable with. Let's let's go let's go fish. You're going to notice that this chapter is actually full of flashbacks. He takes a crew out to fish and they find nothing. And then Jesus shows up. And he tells them to try the other side of the boat. And they catch 153 large fish. This is like one of these moments where like you're given a number and nobody knows why we're given that number. Uh, people, people will speculate all the time about it. But we, we don't know. It's 153. It's a big number of fish. A feast. A feast that kind of mirrors the first sign that Jesus acts. When he, 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 when he turns water to wine and the, and the wine overflows at the wedding at Cana. And Peter, with his trademark eagerness, when he, when he recognizes that it's Jesus, he jumps out of the boat to swim to him. I imagine the other disciples watching, watching him jump in the water and think, bro, we just, we just saw Jesus and we're going to be on shore in like a few minutes. Like this is not, you'll be fine. But then verse nine. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. That word, a charcoal fire, a fire of coals. It shows up one other time in the Gospel of John, three chapters earlier, in John 18. But around this fire of coals, Peter is sitting and denying Jesus. One charcoal fire led to Peter's weeping. This charcoal fire, well, we'll see where it leads. They eat. Jesus turns to Peter and he says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There are two huge things about this question. First, remember that Mary Magdalene recognized Jesus because of how he said her name. Jesus doesn't call Peter, Peter. He calls him by his name that his mama gave him, so to speak. He backs up all the way to John 1, John 1, 42, as a matter of fact. Peter's brother Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, otherwise translated Peter, the rock. But he's not Peter anymore. He's not a rock. When things mattered the most, Peter failed. He was supposed to be the rock, but he ended up more like straw, swept away by the wind of adversity. Perhaps, dear brother or dear sister, you have felt this way. Failure is a terrifying prospect, and, and one of the most terrifying ways to fail is, is to fail to live up to the expectations of the people you look up to or love. Sometimes disappointing those you love can hurt even more than if they were just angry. Someone wanted you or needed you to be a rock, but you had other priorities and other desires, and it didn't work out well. If you can imagine a time when that happened in your life, magnify that, that, pit, that, that pit that grows in your stomach, and you're going to feel that disappointment, and you're going to have a taste of how Peter would have felt when he heard Jesus call him by his government name. And then Jesus asks a question. Do you love me more than these. And he's not saying, he's not saying, do you love me more than the other disciples? That would be a weird, that'd be kind of a weird question to ask. And it would separate him from his, from his brothers in, in, a, in a way that I don't think Jesus is doing. I think what he's asking here is, do you love me 
more than these fish? Do you love me more than your old life? Which is another devastating question. Because after years with Jesus, Peter betrays and denies him, breaks that relationship. And Jesus' question probably hits him at the core. And Peter's response almost drips with that desperation. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This happens three times. And Jesus' response is basically the same each time. Verse 15, he says, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he says, take care of or shepherd my sheep. And verse 17, he says, feed my sheep. And this third time, Peter is hurt because his memory of his sin, his memory of his betrayal is triggered. He, he, he denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus asks him the most important question that Jesus could ever ask any of us, do you love me? This moment in the last chapter of this gospel, is a microcosm of the gospel. And by gospel, I want to I be very clear what I'm talking about when I, when I use the word gospel. I'm not just talking about the gospel according to John. I'm talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is a, gospel is a term that we kind of throw around a lot. And so I think it's important that we have a little bit of a definition. So when, when, when we use the word gospel, what we're talking about is good news. What we're talking about is a political declaration. What we're talking about is the coming of a king. A king who comes with a kingdom. A kingdom that doesn't operate like the other kingdoms that we come into contact with. Because this king is the eternal son of God who took on flesh in order to save us from the powers and principalities. Who came in order to save us from our enslavement to sin. From our enslavement to death and our enslavement to the devil. And so when I say gospel and when the gospel writers say gospel and when Jesus says gospel and when Paul says gospel... I, this is, the, this is the cosmic reality that we're talking about. And when we think about what it means to believe the gospel, we're not just talking about believing particular facts about Jesus or facts about the Trinity. What we're talking about is a statement of allegiance. When, when Paul summarizes it in Romans 10, 10, 9 to 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That confession is a political statement. It's a statement that says that Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Your particular nation is not. Mammon or prophet is not. Your own desires are not. Jesus is Lord. And your allegiance to, is to him and to him alone. And that means that his priorities are your priorities. And if he says that we should be doing something, that's something that we should be doing. And it's a verbal, it's a verbal declaration, which means that you're publicly declaring this and that you're prepared for the consequences of that allegiance. In believing that God raised him from the dead, you're believing that he is who he said he was. You're believing that, that, God, vindic that God vindicated him, and in his declaration, in raising, in raising the son from the dead, he's saying, look, listen to everything that he said. Everything that he said is true. But it also means that we believe that he's still alive, which, which, which ups the stakes a little bit. It means that a life that's lived in light of the gospel shapes every aspect of our lives. It means that an allegiance to the resurrected Christ is our first priority. And everything that I just narrated is the exact opposite of what Peter did at that first charcoal fire. And it's the exact opposite of what many of us do. 
We may say under our breath that Jesus is Lord, but our lives may communicate to the world other priorities. We may say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, but our ambition tells the world that profit is our God. We may say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, but our unwillingness to love and care for the poor tells the world that comfort and partiality are our gods. We may say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, but a refusal to reckon with the national history and current, and current, and, 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 and current state of racist and colonial violence tells the world that patriotism is our, is our Lord. When Peter told Jesus that he could fulfill his mission without dying, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, when he told those around the charcoal fire in John 18 that he didn't know Jesus, he confessed with his actions and his words that Jesus is not the Lord. And we do the same thing with alarming regularity. And yet the good news is that Jesus responds to us in the same way that he responded to Peter. The lost sheep who had wandered from the fold, he asks us one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? You may be mired in your own sin. You may be mired in the ways in which you may have betrayed the Lord, bowed to other gods, ignored or bucked his will. You may think that there's, that there's no way out, but there is one question that the resurrected Lord asks you. Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then the repentant person faces the same command from Christ that Peter did. Feed my sheep. John's first epistle reminds us, as Christ did, what love means. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Feed my sheep. If you love them, love your brothers and sisters and neighbors. That's what, that's what repentance and the Christian life look like, where it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, how long you did those things, or how long you were in those places. The Lord turns to you with a question and a command, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. There's a couple, uh, there's a couple I know, um, they, 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 they dated for about seven years, uh, mostly because the man was afraid of marriage. And, on, and, and, and the day before the wedding, this man came to his fiance and said, you know, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm ready to get married. We're gonna have to call this off. She was obviously upset, um, but she told him, fine, just tell my mother. <laughs> so, so, this man went to his soon-to-be mother-in-law and said, hey, like, I can't, I can't do this. And she told him, I came out to see my daughter's law school graduation and a wedding, and I'm going to see both of them. <laughs> so the man acquiesced. They got married the next day. But the first year of their marriage was rough. 
my this 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 this, this person uh, this this man had 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 serious anger issues, and it led only a few months into the marriage to a separation between the two of them. They separated for six months. During that time, the man had to spend extensive time with the Lord, considering what the next steps were, as well as what what the Lord had to do in his life. And when they got back together, which they did, the next decades of their marriage were much healthier, to the extent that when when they told their children this story, their children were shocked. I, I'm one of those children. This was, this was my parents' marriage. And, and, and I know them now as, as models of Christian faith and integrity, but that's not because they're great. Both of them have stories that they've told me as well as stories that they've hidden from me. But the constant is that God's grace has been sufficient and has been powerful to the extent that, 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 that that's something that could have broken their lives. Instead, years down the line, when I heard this, I was like, what? I'm, you? But some of you may be, may be going through something right now that you think, that you think you're never going to get past. And, 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 this, and, 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 and the God that we serve is a God who works such that it could be the case 20 to 25 years from now when somebody sees you, they're like, you went through that? That's how good the God we serve is. And as he reached out to my mother and father, so he, so he reached out to Peter, so he reaches out to you. But, but that's, not the only, that's not the only thing that Jesus tells Peter. Because, because the call of, this, of discipleship is not, is not merely a call to repent of your sin against God and against your neighbor and to believe the gospel. It is that. But, but it's also, as I said in the last few sermons and as John just said in 1 John, the call to discipleship is a call to die. And in Peter's case, that's literally what Jesus told him. Uh, in, John, in John 21, verses 18 to 19, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter, according to tradition, would be crucified upside down. And even with a history like his, the Lord chose and equipped Peter not only to be a leader in his church, but in the end to bear witness to Christ through his martyrdom. In the end, Peter did not falter. In the end, he committed totally to Christ and his confession that Jesus is Lord mattered in the end, even after sinful choices. You see, we're... Each of us is initially repelled by Christ's call, brothers and sisters. It doesn't make any sense. Suffering as a path to salvation? Looking to others' interests instead of, instead of our own? A, a preferential option for the poor? Resistance to all forms of domination and exploitation? All of that sounds super difficult and like not really worth all the effort. But that's because... The logic of the kingdom of God is distinct from the logic of empire. Empire says might makes right. Jesus, the suffering servant, says, actually, I do. The reason why Jesus lived the life that he did, 
died the death that he died and got up the way that he did was to show us that, yes, it is worth it. And everyone who he calls to walk with him, he gives the strength and the power to do so. And we need it, y'all, because the stakes are high. The stakes are life and death. And the stakes were high for the, for the apostles, and they're high for us as well. Christ is calling us, as he did Peter, to follow him. Not to glory and self-aggrandizement, but to a life of self-sacrificial love. This is the purpose of the gospel. To remind us that through, through narrative of, of what lives we've been called to live and the kind of death that we've been called to die, because Christ, by his incarnation, has shown us those things. And by his spirit, he equips us to live that life. There's an obstacle, a sin that many of us hold very close to our hearts, but we don't like to name. And verses 20 to 23 outline it. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. It's the one who leaned against, leaned against Jesus during the, during, during the scene where they're talking about the betrayal. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, mind your business. <laughs> because of this, the, the, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is, okay, so like one of the things that annoys me. If I'm making an, if I'm making an argument about a very particular point, Let's say, for example, I'm arguing that pepperoni pizza is the best pizza. And somebody says, what about cheeseburgers? I'm like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pizza. This, this is, it's called, it's called whataboutism. It's actually, a, it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. But here, what we're talking about here, Peter is the same, Peter is the same Peter. He sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he says, well, like, what does this mean for that guy? And Jesus is like, focus, Peter. It's none of your business. You follow me. The only reason that we need to be looking at other people is to make sure that they have enough. To invest in their flourishing. But that's not why many of us look at what other people have or, or, or are doing. We do so with two, two impulses. Envy and the need to compare sufferings. Peter's just been restored to fellowship. His, his, his betrayal has been forgiven. His, his slate has been wiped clean, but there's, there's, a, there's a distraction. Maybe Jesus has a better plan for somebody else. If there's one thing that we must remember, brothers and sisters, is that maybe Jesus does have a better plan for somebody else, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters for you and I is that we follow Jesus. On the other hand, we, we may also be tempted, uh, as we're tempted in our, in our possible success to be distracted by the possible or maybe greater success of others, in our suffering, we actually face the same temptation. Because sometimes when we suffer, we look at the suffering of others and think, well, you know, maybe, maybe my suffering doesn't really matter. After all, I just, I just lost my job. There are billions of people starving around the world. I'll bounce back. This isn't really that big of a deal. Here's the thing. Just as we ought not compare successes, we ought not compare sufferings either. Because Jesus' words to you are the same regardless of the comparison that you're making. Look, look, focus. 
Whether you're in sickness or in health, focus on the covenant that I made with you. If you're out of your abundance, when you have abundance, feed my sheep. When you're suffering, lean on the body that I've given you and continue to feed my sheep. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is. The command is the same. Feed my sheep. And when those words, when those words echo in your mind, regardless of circumstance, the Lord can use whatever it is that you're going through to refine you and equip you to glorify him even more. In fact, this is precisely what Peter himself will say in 1 Peter when he gives the reason for trials, where you can hear echoes of his own experience. Because in 1 Peter 1.8, he says that trials come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, envy... And the incessant need to compare our sufferings have a common mortal enemy, gratitude. Covetousness cannot stand when your mind and your words are saturated in gratitude. It's profoundly difficult to want what others have when you're so focused on what the Lord has done for you. It's one of the secrets of Christian contentment. It's a deep understanding of, the, of, of what the Lord has lavished upon you. And it's this gratitude and contentment that may be your most profound daily act of resistance. It may be your most profound daily act of faithfulness to the Lord. Because you're going to be tempted to despair, to stray, to deny the Lord who bought you. And all of those things sound super dire, but the powers and principalities are often subtle about getting us to betray the Lord. Remember, Peter's betrayals weren't explosive or super visible. Judas's was obvious. But Peter's were just as devastating. And the call of the gospel is not just a call for us to go out and make a difference for Jesus. It's a call to live by a logic that the world doesn't understand. Jesus' primary moral command in the, in the book of John is that we love one another as Christ has loved us. And it's in Peter that we actually see what that love looks like. That no matter what you have done, no matter the depth of your own sin, the Lord merely asks if you love him. And he calls you to follow. And as long as you live, that path is open. But be aware. This is a road that ends in death. And Peter and every apostle walked that particular road. But the Christian knows that death does not have the final say. Because the Christian knows that the good news of the gospel is that the Son of God, the King of glory, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a shameful death on the cross, and was raised. And by doing so, he defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated all of our cosmic enemies. So now death cannot defeat us. As a matter of fact, death will just do to us what it did to Christ. It's the road to our resurrected bodies. And in the meantime, as long as we live these lives, let us commit them to one another and to the Lord who saved us. Let us do so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because this is the end, the purpose of the gospel. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the King who has come. And that we might be joyful citizens of his kingdom. Let's pray.